scripture, uh, I was reminded about several years ago, um, I was only in my early teens uh, when my great-grandfather passed away and then um, my great-grandmother passed away uh, a couple of years later. And uh, he was one of those that was a hoarder. Now, he was not a hoarder in the sense that he had stuff piled up inside of his house because my great-grandma wouldn't have allowed that to happen. But outside, he had piles and piles and piles of stuff. And, and it was car parts, it was engine parts, it was whatever he would find. Um, it was like you, you, if you were going to a junkyard, that's what it looked like at his house. And when he passed away, all of this stuff was left, um, and, and we had to slowly get rid of it. And, and there were some pretty amazing things that we found as we were going through things. The problem was, was that rust had gotten into so much of it and had destroyed so much of the things that were just left to sit there that you would, car parts, everything that you would think that you would pay top money to try to find now had completely rotted, rusted, and was completely just gone. And as I was thinking about that and the things that we just threw away, things that were so valuable at one time or could have been had they been cared for properly, just wasted away. Now last week we were challenged to live each day as if it were our last. And in light of eternity, we should live life just a little bit different than the rest of the world. We come to James chapter 5 today and we're going to hear a stinging indictment upon the unrighteous rich people. James has been preaching in the first four chapters, but now he assumes the role of prophet. One commentator puts it, James' words are to be blunt, blunt. And that's what we see here. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a, in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now we read that section of scripture and you go, well, Travis, I probably really don't need to stay for this sermon because I'm not really rich, so it doesn't apply to me. So let's just pack up and go home. No, it doesn't work that way. Because you may not think, how, how many of you think you're rich? Financially. Financially, how many of you think you're, there's a couple of you that go, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty rich. And the rest of you are like, nope, I live in Stafford, nope, not rich. 
I may make a lot of money, but it goes right back into my house, you know, and, and hey, we're all house poor. Most of us are house poor that live in Stafford because it's the only way that we can live. I, I remember when we first came here and we looked, Teresa and I looked at all of the houses and we went, there's no way. We'll never get approved for a loan to purchase a house because there's no way. And the Lord blessed us, and he has taken care of us every step of the way, and we are so thankful. And, and, and for most of us, we go, we're not really that rich. But in relative terms, and I know those of you who raise your hands, you're not like, yeah, look at me, I'm proud, I'm rich. No, you understand what I'm about to say, that one-third of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. One-third of the population of the world lives on less than $2 per day. You see, compared to them, most of all of us are rich. And in ancient Israel, if we go all the way back to the ancient Israel, it was a lot like today. There were a lot of those that were, or those were at the very top. Those one percenters, they had the money. And there really wasn't this middle group. You either fit way up here, or you are all the way down here. And there were a lot of people that just didn't have that much. Those with money often mistreated those who lived on the margins. And if I could sum up the sermon in, in one sentence today, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. We've all heard the phrase, money talks, right? We, we've all heard that phrase, but there's also a comedian who says, if money talks, all it ever says to me is goodbye. So if money could talk, I believe this is what it would say. Number one, money would look at us and say, it will lead to misery. Money will lead to misery. Look at verse one. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now this phrase, Come now also appears back in, in James chapter 4, verse 13, and it is a call to listen up. James here, he, he's cut out with the brother stuff. You know, he really wanted the people to, to feel warm and fuzzy, and so before he would kind of get on them, he would say, brothers, listen. And, and he would try to bring them in, and, and there was a coddling feeling. Not anymore. Last week we talked about that. This week we see it here again. Come now. Listen up. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. He says, come now, weep. It means to burst into tears with wailing and lament. It's not just, oh, a little bit of a tear. No, it was true and utter sadness. He says to weep. And then he says to, to weep and to howl. Now the word howl is oluizo. And it means to shriek in a loud cry. The Greek literally reads, burst into weeping and howl with grief. I want you to think about what I talked about at the beginning and all of those things that my great-grandfather had kept. And we just had to throw them away. We had to put them in the dumpster. We had to just take them away and carry them away to the junkyard. James here is saying, hey, I want you to take all of that stuff that's going to be thrown into the dumpster, and I want you to weep and howl about it. I wonder if James was thinking of Isaiah 13, verse 6, 
wail for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. We can also go back and look at Proverbs 11, verse 28. It says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Money can lead to misery. Secondly, riches can rot. Riches can rot. Check out verse 2 in the first part of verse 3. James says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. You see, in the first century, wealth was measured in three ways. Grain, garments, and gold. So the grains has rotted. The, the rich had so much food that it was rotting, rotting in their bins. Now today, we've been able to kind of help with that process. We have the grain bins and we build big storage bins. And what they do today, in order for them to be able to keep a lot longer... They put big um, spikes in the center of them and, and, and it just spins constantly and, and it aerates and, and you blow hot air or just regular air into it constantly. And, and as those spiral and as that air goes in, it actually dries it out. But back in the day, in the first century, they didn't have that stuff. So if the grain was moist, when the grain was wet, if there was too much humidity in the air, it would just completely rot away. The word rotted means to decay. Then their garments were moth-eaten. These were outer robes. And these outer robes of the rich, they were fancy. They were purple. They were the best of the best. But the problem was, the, the flashier they were, the, the, the fancier they were, they just became food for the moths. And, and the problem was, is you didn't always see that it was happening. You know, that's interesting with all three of these things that we're going to talk about. You really don't see it happening right away. You see, the, the moth is, is silent and it comes in in the secret. And the next thing you know, it's just kind of rotting away. The food was the same way. It would spoil without really even seeing it. Gold and silver corroded. Now, this is one of those things that you would actually see. Now, while it didn't rust, um, how many of you ever had to ha have your silver just completely tarnish? And it looks horrible, doesn't it? I mean, it starts out just this beautiful silver color. I, I remember, I, I still have it. It's on my nightstand. Um, or, or on my dresser, um, and, and I received um, this cup back uh, in 1996, and, and it was for showing cattle, and it was made out of, of silver. And boy, man, it was beautiful. But I didn't really notice it right away. But as it sat there, it just slowly started turning a dull color. And right now, because I and lazy and don't feel like shining it up it sits there and it's just covered in tarnish and looks just horrible and that's exactly what happens to our lives as well it will rot if we're not careful with all of it James tells the wealthy to prepare to weep and wail not because they had money but because they hoarded that money 
You see, wealth is not the problem. And I know some of you are going, oh, oh, Travis, you're trying to make us feel bad because we have money. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. I want us to be conscious of how we have our money and what we do with our money. Wealth is not the problem. It's the misuse of it. You see, what they owned was useless because it was just piled up in their houses. Plus, they weren't willing to give what they had to others. It's like the rich young ruler who walked away sad because Jesus said, the one thing that's holding you back, yes, you have kept all the laws, yes, you have been a really good guy, but there's one thing that's holding you back, and it's your wealth. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Let's be clear. The Bible does not condemn a person for having wealth. Some of the godliest people in the Bible had money. Joseph, Job, David, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea, Lydia, Abraham. Abraham was wealthy, but he maintained his wisdom. But however, on the other side, his nephew Lot, when he became rich, it ruined his faith and his family. You see, it's okay to have riches in your hand, provided that they don't get a hold of this. That they don't get a hold of your heart. Psalm 62, verse 10 says, If riches increase, set not your heart on them. You see, James is dealing with our attitude toward wealth, not the amount that we have. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with Many pangs for the love of money. That's the important part. Not just having money, but the love of money. One man turned to a buddy at a visitation of a mutual friend, and they knew that he had plenty of money, and the one friend said, hey, how much did he leave? And the other one replied, all of it. That's right. You see, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Number three, possessions can possess us. Possessions can possess us. This is the last part of verse three. Will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The word evidence here is the idea of proof. You see, possessions can offer testimony against us and eat away at us. Interestingly, our possessions rust away slowly, but they can quickly consume us like fire. The question is, is not, do I have money, but does my money have me? Let's go back to what Jesus urges in Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a man who was visited by an angel. And while the angel came and visited, he said, I will give you, the angel said, I'll give you one wish. 
And the man looked at the angel and said, I wish to see the stock market one year from now. And boom, there was the open page of the Wall Street Journal with the stock market right in front of him. And boy, his eyes gleamed. The smile on his face grew and grew and grew because he saw what the stock market was going to look like. But then he glanced to the left of the page. And there were the obituaries. And there was his face. You see, since how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health, I must remember that money can lead to misery, riches can rot, my possessions can possess me, and that leads us to our final warning. Self-indulgence can lead to sin. Self-indulgence can lead to sin. When we are overly focused on our own finances, we end up ignoring or blatantly wronging other people, especially the poor. Look at verse 4. James says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Here's a case where money is talking loudly. The tense of the verb, kept back, indicates the workers will never get their wages. The title here, Lord of Hosts, is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of Angel Armies. The Lord of Angel Armies who acts on behalf of the oppressed. The name, the Almighty's This name refers to the Almighty's unlimited power to help the poor, to deliver the disadvantaged. Jehovah is the self-existent one who is personal, present, and powerful. He is the ultimate promise keeper. The word Sabaoth refers to a vast array of angelic warriors. We have the angel or the, the, the Lord of angel armies. We have Jehovah Sabaoth on our side. Check out Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. You see, God goes to war against the wealthy in order to defend the poor who are being oppressed. In Luke chapter 18, verse 7, we read, And will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? You see, in contrast to the the plight of the poor, James 5, 5 says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. The word for luxury refers to leading a soft life, self-indulgence, living voluptuously. You see, when the wealthy withhold wages, it can result in a starvation, according to verse 6. It says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You see, this shows the heart of the problem, and it is the problem of the heart. Not only can wealth decay and our character corrode right now, there's also judgment to come in the future. In 
it's interesting that in less than 10 years that James pens this, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to completely wipe out Jerusalem. All of that wealth that they were holding on to, all of that wealth that these rich people thought they had, gone. And that's something that we always must remember. Since how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health, I must remember money can lead to misery. Riches can rot. My possessions can possess me. Self-indulgence can lead to sin. And as a way to illustrate all of these truths, I want us to go back to Luke chapter 16. You guys thought that I was at point number four and I said that that was my last point, so I was done, right? You guys were getting excited, right? We're not done yet. Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells us that we are to steward all that we have been given. We are responsible to manage our time, our talents, and our treasures for his glory and the good of his kingdom. We read in verses 12 through 13, And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then we come to verse 14, and we see that this really got those religious leaders riled up. These religious leaders, they didn't like hearing what Jesus had to say. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. I love that. Anytime that they start getting riled up, he, he just breaks out into a parable. He breaks out into a story, and, and he tells about the rich man and Lazarus. And he does this to demonstrate how being rich should not be equated with being righteous. In verse 19, we're introduced to an extremely wealthy man. He lived in a home with a gate. It kept others out. His clothes were, were made of purple, the color normally reserved for royalty. This guy lived. He had it all. He had splendor. It was dazzling to everyone that came around him. While some people are quiet about their wealth, this man basically strutted it around like a peacock. Verse 19 says that he, fasted, he feasted every day. In contrast to the, the rich man, there was this poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus was in need of everything. He had no home. His health was fading. He was an outcast. He had no food. He, he longed to eat the rich man's leftovers, we're told. And while the rich man was covered in perfume and purple... The poor man gave off a putrid odor. His only companions were dangerous dogs that ran the streets and would lick his sores. Not only was his best friend's dogs, and, and these dogs would come and lick him, it also made him unclean, so he couldn't even go into the temple and worship. And while there was obvious Obviously a contrast in how the rich man and the poor man 
lived their lives. There was also a difference in their deaths. And this is what I want us to dig into for the next couple of moments. As soon as Lazarus died, verse 22 tells us that he was carried by the angels. Where? To Abraham's side. Now when we read in Scripture, Abraham is regarded in Scripture as not only being the great patriarch, but also the father of all believers. To be considered a friend of Abraham was the highest honor possible, and true happiness would be to spend eternity at his side. And that's exactly what we read here. The rich man, however, he was carried away, and he went straight to hell. We read here he went straight to to Hades. He was in terrible torments, awful agony. As he looked up, he saw Lazarus far away, nestled next to Abraham. The phrase far off, as we read here, it indicates the unbridgeable gulf between heaven and hell. The merciless man now cries out for mercy. He's parched. We read this in verse 24. Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. What a contrast, right? The way in which he lived his life in splendor and in majesty, he had it all. He used to have absolutely everything that he ever wanted to wear, to live in, to eat, to drink, and now he longed just for a drop of water. Incidentally, he knew Lazarus' name. Isn't that interesting? He knew the plight of this poor man, Lazarus, while they were still alive. He knew that he sat at the gate. He knew that he was in need, yet this rich man did nothing in his life to try to help Lazarus. Now, he wants help from who? He wants Lazarus to be the one to come to him. But Abraham tells this rich guy to remember how he lived his life. Then in verse 26, Abraham states, it is absolutely impossible for Lazarus to bridge the gap. It was a chasm that was too wide for Lazarus to be able to go across, even if he wanted to help. This is what we read, verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. There is a fixed boundary between heaven and hell. There were many deep chasms in Israel, Things that couldn't be bridged, but this one is greater than any of those. It was impassable. The lost and the redeemed are separated forever. The fate of the dead is irreversible. This rich man is still in hell today and will be in hell forever. And I know some of you are like, Travis, way to bring us down. Here's the thing. James brings this up, Jesus brings this up, and I bring it up today because we better be sharing the gospel message. 
whether it's because of COVID, whether it's because of whatever destruction may lie in front of us, we better be prepared. But we better be preparing those that are around us as well. We better make sure that we share the gospel message with those that are around us. The rich guy tries one more plea in verses 27 and 28. Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now the word torment was used of instruments of torture. He didn't want any company in the tortures of hell. Especially, he didn't want his brothers to join him there. Now he understands the absolute importance of repentance before it's too late. If someone would come back from the dead, certainly they would listen, right? If all of a sudden someone came back from the dead, we would go, oh yeah, and we would all start showing up at church. No, not necessarily. And that's exactly what Abraham says. Abraham says, they probably still wouldn't listen. So let's summarize all of this up. What can we learn about the afterlife from this passage? The dead are still alive today. Both Lazarus and the rich man survived their own funerals. When we die, we wake up to spend eternity in one of only two places. So we better be prepared. Secondly, death marks the final separation between the saved and the lost. There's no second chances. There's no place that we kind of go to in a holding pen and, well, eventually maybe we'll get there. It doesn't work that way. We will be judged by how we lived our life in this life. And that's it. No amount of money, no amount of praying once we've died, Nothing will be able to help us past this life. Thirdly, hell is a place of personal suffering. Three times Jesus mentions in this, pa- in this passage torment, suffering, and agony of the rich man. Hell is where God's wrath is poured out. It's also emptiness away from God's presence forever. The Bible speaks of a fire that, burn, that never burns out, a place where the worm never dies, a, a place of darkness and gloom where there is continual weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place that no one wants to go. I hear a lot of people that will be like, hey, yeah, I'm going to hell and it's going to be a party. <laughs> nope. And the devil isn't some guy with a pitchfork and a pointy tail and two little horns and it's funny remember the old some of you are like i don't know what looney tunes are but i remember the old looney tunes where they would show that it's not going to be funny it's not going to be a party it's a place where no one will want to go and number four those in hell cry out for for help that will never come hell is not a place of the long party but it is a place of eternal suffering The rich man who is still in hell today knows at least four things. Money can't buy you by your way into heaven. There's no way out for him. 
People can avoid hell if they repent and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And someone needs to warn people about the danger that they're in today. I should go to hell. I deserve hell. I'm not good enough. I have not lived a good enough life. But I'm so thankful for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he took on all of that wrath that was stored up for me. And he bore it on Calvary. He chose to die for my sins. God has provided a way of escape for me and for you. It's whether we're willing to accept him. And and here's the thing, there is no plan B with God. You either accept him now, today, before this life is over, or you spend eternity in hell. It's the only way. So here's a couple of questions to ponder. In light of what we've learned today, do you have eternal life? Have you been saved? If you go, I'm not for sure, or I don't know, we need to talk. We can work through that and help you know whether you have given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And then how do we fix that? Don't delay. Don't say, oh, Travis, I'll get to it eventually. Don't delay. Don't wait. Secondly, am I hoarding? Am I, am, is my heart filled with my riches or have I given it all up to God? I like what Randy Alcorn says. He says, God, prop, prop, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives to us so we can give to others. We can't keep it. We will lose it. Number three, am I living a fully surrendered life? Do I try to hold on to things or do I give them up to the Lord? Am I going with the gospel? Who's your one more? that you can think of right now that you need to invite to come to service, that you can invite to watch with us on Sunday mornings on Facebook? Who's your one more that you need to share the gospel with right now? Don't delay, don't wait. You know, I said it just a second ago that we deserve hell but I'm thankful for what my Lord and Savior Jesus did. I'm thankful that he chose to come to this earth and he chose to die for my sins. That he chose to die for your sins. And we take this opportunity to remember that. And if you haven't received your communion, you can get it in the back. Um, At home, whatever options you have. But I want you to Just take a moment and we're going to pray. And you can take the, the bread and the juice and you can remember that ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made 
for you. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you one more day. We thank you that you have given us this day. And Father, for anyone who is listening to this message, who doesn't know whether they've given their life to you, if they are saved or not, Father, that, that they, will, they will seek out counsel, that they will comment, that they will email, that they will make a phone call, that they'll just meet me in the back and we'll talk about what that looks like. Father, as we partake of communion today, we remember your sacrifice of your son that he took on our sins to die for us. We pray this in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.